Hello, and welcome to the Summit Church Podcast. Our messages are designed to help teach and equip you on your journey to lead people to follow Christ. We hope that this message will inspire and encourage you, no matter where you are on your journey towards Christ. If you have questions, want to talk, or want to learn more about Summit, visit us at summitniles.com. Thanks for listening. Good morning, beloved. Can I call you beloved? I had a professor at Bethel, um, anytime he taught or he referenced us as a group or spoke in chapel, he would always say beloved, because he's referencing the church, the body of Christ. We would be the bride of Christ, uh, beloved. That's who you are, beloved. Um, that song, that's a good song. Are you grateful to be a son and a daughter of the Lord this morning? My name's Chuck. I'm one of the pastors here. I'm grateful to have another opportunity to be with you, to teach the Word, to be transformed by it along with you. Um, it's good to have Pastor Dan back. Uh, he mentioned a few things, talking about what God is doing, uh, some of the stories that we have shared. I, I gave you a list last week of some of the things that God is doing amongst us, amongst you, um, us as a family, as we are making ourselves available to the Lord as we are living in obedience to Him, as we are walking out our faith, as you are doing that, God is doing is some incredible things. I gave you a whole list last week. Uh, Dan just mentioned a few. Uh, there's another thing I want to mention this morning. It, just, it stood out to me. I've, I've seen this. I've recognized this. Many of you have made a commitment to be here in church you have, you have made a commitment this year to do that. You are making an effort to be here week after week after week, more than you normally have. And I want to say that I am seeing that, and I am proud of you for that, and God is going to bless you for that. That is living in obedience to His Word. Many of you are, have made that a commitment, and you are following through, and you are making an effort to be here week after week after week. You are gathering together with the saints, hearing His Word preached to you, and worshiping. I'm proud of you for that. Keep doing that. God will bless you for that. He tells us this. So I'm proud of you for that. If you haven't uh, grabbed your booklet, Pastor Dan mentioned that already, I want to encourage you to grab one. Um, take a booklet, exchange that bookmark with somebody else. Uh, last week, we gave out 400 of those. That's awesome. We gave out 400 of those booklets uh, if you are unaware of what I'm talking about, this is a seven-week, it's a devotional uh, guide, a walk-it-out guide. Um, this is a follow-up to our series that we opened the year with. We wanted this to be a tangible tool for our church to rally around together over the next seven weeks to practice some spiritual disciplines together. So we want to be in the Word to memorize the Word, to learn how to pray, to put fasting into our routine. So each week in this Walk It Out guide, we'll have one passage of Scripture that we're going to be reading, the same passage every day. We have one verse to memorize each week. Each week we have one way that we would encourage you to fast, and then each day we encourage you to pray. In the back of the booklet, there's like a resource bank, some ideas on how to fast or how to pray. There are places throughout the journal to take notes as you go. There are some devotional thoughts from our pastors and a few others. Uh, let me tell you that this is, this is a, a personal thing, and it's also communal. This is, this is a tool 
to put you in a position to hear from God and to develop intimacy with Him. But it's also a tool to connect you with your church, those others surrounding you who, who are different than you, who look different than you, who've had different experiences than you, but are on the same journey of following Christ. So I want you to make this a part of your conversation. Challenge one another with the Scripture memory. Share what you are learning, what you are thinking about. Pray for each other. Use that bookmark. That was the, the challenge there, to take that bookmark, write your name on it, trade it with someone else, and commit to pray for them. And we're doing this for, for two reasons. One, uh, to, to develop healthy disciplines that have lasting effects. Okay? These things that we've walked through in our Walk It Out series, it's not just, hey, for this period of time we're going to do this and then we can go back to whatever we were doing before. These are disciplines that we are wanting to grow in our life that will have lasting effects, that the Spirit would develop fruit in us as we make ourselves available to Him. Long obedience in the same direction. Okay? So we're doing it for that purpose, but we're also doing it as a specific way to prepare our hearts for Grow 23 that Dan already mentioned this morning, that four-day church gathering, worship and teaching, being led by the Spirit. We want to begin training our ears to hear His voice so that when He meets with us over those four days, and He will, we will be ready to respond. Okay. So if you haven't grabbed your booklet yet, I encourage you to do so. Uh, if you need to grab one for a friend, uh, do so. Uh, many of you know that I like, to, uh, I like to wrench, I like to fix things like cars and trucks, I like to work on that stuff, um, make things better for vehicles. Um, my wife has been after me for a while to put a hitch on the back of our, of our, of our minivan. Um, when your van is full of children, it's hard to put bikes in there, and so she likes to take them out and you know, go riding at different parks or whatever else, and so she's been after me for a while to do that. Um, Brand new hitch is around $200. It's not terrible, but I'm cheap. Um, and so what, instead, I have an app. I have an app for a junkyard in South Bend, and I get notifications so that when um, a vehicle enters the yard that I'm interested in, it lets me know on my phone. And so this happened the other day. I got a notification that said, hey, a 2008 to 2018 Chrysler Town & Country has entered the yard. And so now I can go and I can bring my own tools, and I can pull something, a pull a piece off of the vehicle for much cheaper um, than, buying it, uh, than buying it new, and then I can go, you know, install it myself. So this happened the other day. I got a notification, and I looked at the picture. Sure enough, there's a town and country, and underneath the back end, there's a two-and-a-half-inch hitch. Perfect. And it only costs $40 as opposed to $200 new. So off I go to LKQ, and there are several hundred places, there are several hundred cars in this yard. It's not the biggest one, but it's still a big place. And when you're walking through and you're carrying all sorts of tools, whenever I go to a yard like this, I always take way more tools than I need because Shelby's smiling. He knows. He's done this. You never know what you're going to find while you're there. You could find other things that you need a different tool for. And so you bring all the tools that you can, and when you do that, it's very helpful to have a wheelbarrow. So they have big wheelbarrows. So I had a wheelbarrow. I threw all my tools in there. I'm lumbering through the yard. Now, this was last Saturday. It had just gotten warm for a couple days, and the place was just saturated with water. I mean, it was just mud city. So it was really hard to make my way all Of course, the van that I was looking for was all the way near the back corner. And so I'm pushing my way through the mud. It's very difficult, but I got there. Um, I get to the van. It's on the very outside row. I remove the exhaust. I undo the five bolts of the hitch. I throw it on top of the wheelbarrow. It obviously doesn't fit, so it's kind of sliding around a little bit. 
and then good, I'm good to go. So on my way out, I decided that I wanted to go on the perimeter versus in the middle where everyone else was walking and all the big monster trucks are that they're moving the stuff around because that was the muddy spot. And so I make my way out along the perimeter. Now along the perimeter is a fence, as you might imagine. Um, it's very high, but it also has several wires running horizontally through the fence for a very specific purpose. Um, and in the past, I have probably seen or read uh, the warning 7,000 volts sign. And some of you are laughing already. Uh, and I probably even believed it, that that was a, a thing that was real. Uh, but I had never worked on a car that was that close to the edge before. And so I'm working on my way back. I'm only, there's only a few feet between the fence and the car row. And there's uneven ground. There's like parts littered everywhere, as you might imagine. And I'm trying to balance the hitch on top of that as I'm, you know, and it's sliding around. I came to a steering wheel in the middle of the path. And it was slightly to the right. And so there wasn't enough room to get my wheelbarrow around it between the car and the steering wheel. So I was going to have to go alongside the fence. And again, keep in mind, I'm not really paying attention to the fence. And so as I try to maneuver around it, that hitch slides on top of the wheelbarrow towards the left and just naturally I shift my body to compensate for the weight. And in so doing, I brought my body via my elbow in contact with the fence. And I came to know 7,000 volts in a very real and personal way. Um, so the fence made a, a snap noise, as you imagine, and I kind of fell back a little bit and uh, <sighs> controlling my breathing, trying to control my breathing and my heart, trying to calm it down a little bit. A lot of, oh, noises that are coming out. Um, and my elbow is continuing to buzz and like resonate is like a feeling of a thousand needles are pointing in my, my arm. I knew what the sign meant. I know about electric fences and what they do, but I learned that touching an electric fence will bring your intellectual comprehension of 7,000 volts to a whole new experiential level. I went from knowing about 7,000 volts to knowing 7,000 volts. So let me pose to you a question this morning. Let's take a hard turn here. Do you know about Jesus? Or do you know Jesus? Now, I believe those things weave together. There is a crossover there. I think the former can help us interpret and understand the latter. But there is a difference. And even this morning, as we attempt to move further into the idea of the love of God, I am going to do my best to inform you about Jesus, to tell you and to teach you about his heart, to go a bit further into our experience of God's love as expressed to us in Christ Jesus. But even that is like me telling you about a 7,000-volt fence that will shock you if you touch it. You can believe me. You can even be overwhelmed at what you know electric fences can do and have done, but it still falls short of experiencing it for yourself. And so it is with Christ. In our attempt to grasp a deeper knowledge and an understanding of the love of Christ, my prayer is that we may know the unknowable in our union with Him. So to that end, we need God's help. So pray with me, will you? 
Father God, we ask for your presence to be felt this morning in a powerful way that we may know your love. That's our desire this morning. We are eager to meet with you through your holy word, by your spirit. So teach us now, give us ears to hear. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, Before I begin this morning, um, I've already begun. Before we jump into the the scripture this morning, um, I want to encourage you, these last two weeks, these messages, um, these aren't necessarily application messages. We came through our Walk It Out series, and they're, they're heavy application. There's there are things in which is right and good and holy that there are things that you ought to do as a Christ follower. This message is not like that this morning. This message is for you to sit in and to know and to understand. So if you're looking for an application this morning, don't look for an application this morning. Look to know your Savior this morning. So open your Bibles to Matthew chapter 11. I'm going to be reading from the New King James Version. I've been reading this version lately very much. I'm enjoying that. Matthew chapter 11. And as you're finding Matthew chapter 11, to give you a bit of context, this is after Jesus' Sermon on the Mount in chapters 5 and 6 and 7. So it's after he's, uh, he's sat down and he's taught all of these things to his disciples. He's been healing many Many, many people, meeting them in their brokenness and restoring them. Uh, He's commanded the wind and the waves to cease their chaos, and they listened to him. He sent out his disciples to teach and to do ministry. He's teaching a new way to live and to love. Jesus has just interacted with John the Baptist's disciples as they come and ask if he was really the one to come, the Messiah, the Christ, is who they're referencing and that happens right before, uh, that happens before this. But right before our verses in 25 through 30, Jesus is rebuking, after all the things I just mentioned, he then begins to rebuke the cities in which most of his mighty works have been done because they did not repent. For out of their self-sufficient righteousness, they did not recognize who he was. So this happens just before our passage this morning, verses 25 through 30. At that time, Jesus answered and said, I thank you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, that you have hidden these things from the wise and prudent and have revealed them to babes. Even so, Father, for so it seemed good in your sight. All things have been delivered to me by my Father, and no one knows the Son except the Father, nor does anyone know the Father except the Son, and the one to whom the Son wills to reveal him. Come to me, all you who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Let's read verse 29 there again. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, For I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. I just want to break this down, remembering a bit of where we started last week. Okay, so verse 25, Jesus says, God the Father has hidden these things from the wise and prudent and revealed them to babes, or or little children, your, your version might say. So four questions to address really quickly as we read this first verse. And I will tell you that this is a really helpful way to study Scripture. 
So as you're, as you're reading, when you want to move from reading to studying, a helpful practice is to ask questions of the text. So as we read that one verse, there are four questions I think that immediately you can ask. What things are being hidden and revealed? Who are the wise and prudent? Who are the babes? And why has God chosen to reveal to some what he has hidden from others? That should be a common practice as you are studying, to ask questions of the text, and then dig in to find the answers to those questions. So first, what things are being referred to here? What has been hidden and revealed? So if we go back to the context that we established already, its context is important. Jesus has been on major ministry tour. He himself has been out. He's been teaching about the kingdom of God. He has said that he has come to fulfill the law. He's demonstrated divine power over and over and over as he has healed people. He's revealed authority over nature. John's disciples, like I said, had just asked if he was the Messiah. This is how he answers. The blind see, the lame walk, the lepers are cleansed, the deaf hear, the dead are raised up, and the poor have the hope of the gospel preached to them. What do you think? He didn't say it quite like that, but that's kind of my interpretation. Go back and tell John what you've seen. He'll figure it out. So everything just mentioned, that list, his ministry, what he's doing, he himself, those are the things, the things, the hidden things that he is talking about. The works of God being revealed in the ministry of the Son. More specifically, God himself in the revelation of Jesus Christ. Those are the things that have been hidden from the, from, or that have been hidden from the wise and the prudent and revealed to babes. Which brings us to answer our next few questions, which we'll try to answer here in kind of one fell swoop. Who are these being referred to, the wise and the babes, and why the hiding and revealing game? Again, in grander context, pick this up here. Jesus is rebuking whole cities. He's pronouncing woe on a whole generation while he is yet healing the blind, healing the lame and the deaf. What is happening here? Jesus is contrasting those who are self-sufficient and deem themselves wise with those who are desperately dependent and love to be taught. That is what he's doing. And he uses this analogy, babes or little children, assumingly because children are typically more teachable than adults and utterly dependent on their caretaker for survival. In other words, Jesus is saying that that God the Father has hidden the mystery and magnificence of himself from those who cannot and will not accept it, for they know not their need of him, yet has revealed himself to those who are weary and burdened, those who are deeply aware of their insufficiencies. This is bad news if you think you have it all together. This This is great news if you know you don't. Let's keep reading as Jesus speaks to the way in which this comes about now, how God and his work are revealed. Verse 27, All things have been delivered to me by my Father. No one knows the Son except the Father, nor does anyone know the Father except the Son and the one to whom the Son reveals him to. Verse 28, Come to me, all you who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Jesus is giving us a, a peek at, the portion, uh, at a portion of the Trinity here. The relationship between the Son and the Father, and also then 
their relationship with us. It's very similar language to Jesus' prayer in John 17. If you remember some of that, I'll read just a, a couple lines from that. You, Father, are in me and I in you, that they may also be one in us, just as we are one, I in them and you in me, that they may be made perfect, that the world may know that you have sent me and have loved them as you have loved me. Again, just after saying that God reveals these things, himself and his work, to those who are deeply aware of their insufficiencies, Jesus gets more specific and says, all things, those things, have been delivered to him from the Father, and no one will know the Father except the one to whom the Son wills to reveal him. And then pay attention, immediately after he says that, the next three words, whom the Son wills to reveal him, the next three words, come to me. Come to me. So Jesus is putting another layer on what he's already established, clarifying that he himself is the revealer to a specific group of people, and it has everything to do with those three words, come to me. Again, God the Father has hidden the mystery and magnificence of himself from those who cannot and will not accept it, for they know not their need for him. However, to those who are weary and burdened, those deeply aware of their insufficiencies, he has revealed himself intimately through Jesus Christ. So to know the love of the Father, you must have him revealed to you by the Son. The impending question then is, who does the Son choose to reveal him to? Come to me, he says. For those of us in a post-resurrection world, it is those who trust in Jesus alone for salvation, knowing our need for him, knowing our need for a Savior, coming to him that we might be rescued and saved from our self-devouring disease of sin. Those who come, that's who he chooses to reveal himself to. So the quick reminder of the gospel this morning has that flavor of, are you weak and heavy laden? Do you know your need of Christ? Even still, post-salvation, this is what's important here, not just in the moment of salvation, you can be saved and still know your daily need for Christ. In fact, that is what you need to know. On the daily, we need Christ. So what I have hopefully done up to this point is sufficiently bring us back up to speed with what we understood from last week in our point about the expression and the experience of God's love being one in the same. That is Jesus Christ. However, today, as I've already mentioned, I want to push further into this idea of knowing the heart of Christ for us and how we might experience it in a very real way. beginning of our passage that we walk through, I think, so far helps set us up to do that well. What I want to do is look at the last two verses of that passage that we read. We want to take a walk after that through the Gospels and then get some help from John 16 as we, as we close today. So verse 29, again, Take my yoke upon you, learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart. You will find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Now, as I begin to unpack this, much of what I aim to share with you this morning is what I have been learning as I have personally walked, I'm walking through the book Gentle and Lowly by Dane Ortland. 
So the last few years, I have suggested some books that have been impactful to me that I've encouraged you to read. Uh, the Imperfect Disciple by Jared Wilson was one of them. Another Gospel uh, by Elisa Childers. That's another one I've recommended. This is another that I cannot recommend enough. And I know there are a few others actually in our church here who are reading this book as well. I had a conversation with them after service last week, and they also have been changed in how we understand the heart of Jesus for sinners and sufferers. And I have grown in my relationship with my Savior, not just in my knowledge of who He is. And so as I walk through some things this morning, much of what I share is building off of key observations from reading uh, this book today. Verse 29, again, Take my yoke upon you, learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart. You will find rest for your souls. So gentle and lowly. You will find that this is the only place in Scripture that we get a description of the heart of Jesus. And it's from Jesus himself. It's the only place where Jesus says, this is who I am. This is my heart. I am gentle and I am lowly. You need to understand that the idea of the heart when communicating in Scripture, both in the Old Testament and the New, when it's referenced, is communicating not simply just our emotional life or a part of us that feels, but rather it carries with it the idea of the very center of our being. It is our motivational center, the place that drives everything that we do. The heart is who we are, and it animates our existence. It is what bubbles up from within us, very core to everything that we are. That is what the Scripture is communicating when talking about the heart. Okay, Proverbs 4.23 says, Keep the heart and with all vigilance, for from it flows the springs of life. Jeremiah 17, the heart is deceitful among all things and desperately wicked. Who can know it? This is one of those verses that we go back to when we understand that as a people, as humans, because of our sinful nature, it comes from our, our heart. That in our natural state of humanity, we are bent away from God in rebellion. Our very heart animates our, our, who we are. That without Christ, our heart, our very selves, are turned away from God. But when Christ references his heart, he carefully chooses the words gentle and lowly. What this communicates to us is many things, but primarily that he is not like us. Now, he is like us in his humanity, but he is unlike us in his heart, for my heart is wicked, but he is gentle and lowly. He is pure and perfect. And really the contrast of those two things, my heart and his heart, in my opinion, drives the wonder of this all the more, that his heart would be drawn towards mine. What animates Jesus, who he is at his core, what is most deeply true about him is that in his very being, he is gentle and lowly. But what do those words mean? What is he communicating here? Well, God has given us the ability to understand and interpret Scripture in cultural context using the canon, the whole of Scripture. By the power of the Holy Spirit, we can interpret, we can understand what God is telling us in the words of his holy scriptures. So that word gentle, we're going to attempt to do that, and the word gentle, the Greek word praus, it is used three other times in the New Testament. The first is in Jesus teaching in Matthew chapter 5, that first beatitude where he says, the praus or the meek will inherit the earth. 
In Matthew 21, quoting Zechariah 9, the prophecy there that Jesus the King is coming to you, prous or humble, and mounted on a donkey. In 1 Peter 3, he's encouraging wives to nurture more than anything else the hidden person of, of the heart with the imperishable beauty of a prous or gentle and quiet spirit. So what is the love of God as expressed to us in the heart of Jesus? Jesus is meek. He is humble. He is gentle. Dane Nortland, he says it this way, Jesus is not trigger happy, not harsh, reactionary, easily exasperated. He is the most understanding person in the universe. The posture most natural to him is not a pointed finger, but open arms. How, how many of you need open arms this morning and not a pointed finger? More than many of you realize. How many of you need open arms this morning and not a pointed finger? That picture reminds me of, of what, I, what I'm begging Jesus to help me to do personally in my own walk with my girls. I need to put my finger away sometimes and just give them a hug. In our world, we are constantly trying to improve on ourselves, but we're always screwing it up, and other people know. In, our current, in that current world of brokenness, we are acutely aware of the disappointment that happens, whether it's with ourselves or with others, and moreover, the separation that that naturally causes between us when something goes awry or when we can't measure up or whatever it is. There's disappointment. There's separation that, ca that happens because of our falling short. And Jesus says, nope, come to me. Come to me. That meaning of the word lowly, tepenos in Greek, it's an overlap of this idea of gentle. And it's typically translated as humble throughout the New Testament. But it's not, always, it's, not, it's not really referring to the idea of humility as a virtue, but rather humble as a position or a place of destitution. A lowness or a state of difficulty. Paul uses that word in Romans 12, 16, as we are not to be haughty but associate with the lowly. And Jesus says, I am gentle, I am, I am meek, I am gentle, and I am humble. And he says, I am lowly. Not that he has humility as a virtue, but the place in which he exists. What he is communicating here is what Jesus is communicating. What is it that drives him? Where it is that you can find him? And it is in the lowest of lows and the darkest of darks, because that is where the sinners and the sufferers are. For all his authority and all his divinity and all his power, he makes himself accessible to us that know our need for him. The weary and the burdened, those who are insufficient, those who can't shake that one sin. Why? So that we might find rest in his love. Not in our attempts to have it all together. 
Are you captivated yet by this idea of Jesus saying he is gentle and lowly in heart? I am gentle and I am lowly in heart. He is lowly in heart, meaning he has lowered himself to meet with you. The God of all heaven and all his creator majesty has lowered himself because his heart is drawn to you in your brokenness and in your sin and in your not having it together and in your grief and in your loss. He is gentle and he is lowly. Pastor Caleb and I were talking about this earlier this week. And again, that picture came to mind of, of the woman that was brought before Jesus. I, lo- I keep coming back to that story. Who was caught in adultery and they meant to stone her and to kill her for her sin. You know, I wasn't there. But Jesus advocates for her. He sends everybody else away. And I can just imagine him on the ground with her, on his knees, just meeting with her in that moment defending her, making himself low, meeting with her in her need. I need that from Jesus every day. I want to look at several other examples this morning of the gentle and lowly heart of Christ as we see it walked out in Scripture. I want to start in Matthew chapter 8, verse 2. This will be on the screen for you. And behold, a leper came and worshipped him, saying, Lord, if you are willing, you can make me clean. Then Jesus put out his hand and touched him, saying, I am willing. Be cleansed. And immediately his leprosy was cleansed. Immediately his leprosy was cleansed. I'm going to share this here because I shared in first service too. Can we slow down when we read through the healings of Christ in the Gospels? Can we slow down? I was talking with someone earlier about, uh, I think I brought this up before, about the chosen. You know, I think the chosen is good. Read the chosen, have your Bible in the other hand. Okay? Read the Gospels as you're watching the chosen. But one of the things that the chosen has done for some people, has helped some people with, myself included, is that it helps paint a picture in a very real way of what happens when someone is touched by by the healing hand of Christ. Sometimes we read through that, especially those of us who grew up in the church. We've been reading these stories for our entire life, and we just skate right over the top of a miraculous healing. Can we slow down enough to know the difference that Jesus made in a person's life, not just physically, but emotionally and spiritually, when you have been crippled your entire life, when you have struggled with leprosy and have been cast out and socially an outcast? when you've experienced loss and your, and your leg doesn't work, and then Jesus comes and meets with you and says, I am, I am willing to be healed. I want, I want restoration for your life. And, and they're overjoyed. They jump with joy. And there's this, this, this outpouring of excitement because their entire life is now different than it was before because they've been touched by God. Let's not read too quickly through the miraculous healings of Jesus in Scripture. But that word willing that the the leper uses is appealing to an inmost desire or a wish. The leper asked Jesus if his desire was to heal him, not just, will you heal me? He says, if you are willing, you can make me clean. Jesus said, I am willing. This is my desire. I desire this. In Matthew chapter 9, the very next chapter, they brought 
to him a paralytic, verse 2, lying on a bed. And when Jesus saw their faith, when he saw it, he said to the paralytic, Son, be of good cheer. Your sins are forgiven of you. Before they even asked, the words came out of his mouth. Seeing their need, seeing their belief, the words, the words poured from his mouth and he healed the man. He could hardly help it. The compassion of Christ is rampant throughout Scripture. And every time in these passages, I'm going to read through several of them here. The Greek wording used when it comes to compassion always conveys the same thing. It's, it literally means the bowels or the guts of a person. It, it references always what rises up out of the center and the core of a person. Matthew chapter 9, verses 35 and 36. Then Jesus went about to all the cities and the villages, teaching in their synagogues, preaching the gospel of the kingdom, and healing every sickness, every disease among the people. But when he saw the multitudes, he was moved with compassion for them, because they were weary and scattered like sheep having no shepherd. In Matthew chapter 14, when Jesus heard it, this is the, the death of John the Baptist, he departed from there by boat to a deserted place, by himself. But when the multitudes heard it, they followed him on foot from the cities. And when Jesus went out, he saw a great multitude, and he was moved with compassion for them, and he healed their sick. This, that, that passage always sticks out to me because Jesus, remember, he's, he's fully God, but he's also fully man. Fully man. He's experiencing his own loss, right? He's just heard about the, the murder of his cousin, John. He's experiencing grief and loss. And so he goes off to be by himself to grieve and, and to sit in that sorrow. Yet out of his heart, when he sees the multitudes, he cannot contain his compassion and his love for those who need him. And so he lays aside his own, his own needs for the needs of those around him. In chapter 15, Jesus calls his disciples to himself and he says, I have compassion on the multitude because they have now continued with me three days. They have nothing to eat. I do not want to send them away hungry lest they faint on the way. Jesus cares about what you need physically. The resources that you need. And Jesus, Mark 6, 34, when he came out, he saw a great multitude and was moved with compassion. Have you picked up the pattern? Because they were like sheep, not having a shepherd. So he began to teach them many things. In Luke 7, And when he came near the gate of the city, behold, a dead man was being carried out. And the only son of his mother, she was a widow, and a large crowd from the city was with her. When the Lord saw her, he had compassion on her. And he said to her, do not weep. Then he came and touched the open coffin, and those who carried him stood still. And he said, young man, I say to you, arise. So he who was dead sat up and began to speak. I love that. And he presented him to his mother. Then fear came above upon all, and they glorified God, saying, A great prophet has risen among us, and God has visited his people. I bet fear came upon all. Twice we have recorded testimonies of Jesus weeping in Scripture. And both were out of, of grief, stricken with pain over the pain and the brokenness of others. 
John 11, Jesus weeps with Mary and Martha as they grieve the loss of their brother and Jesus' friend Lazarus. Again, this is significant. Jesus knew he was going to raise Lazarus from the dead. He knew that. He knew what was coming. But he didn't chastise them and say, just wait a second. He wept, it says. It wasn't just a fake response. Jesus being our perfectly high priest, remember, he's fully human, able to empathize with our weaknesses, Hebrew says. He feels the grief and the bitter loss that the sisters are experiencing, and his heart pours out through his tears. In Luke 19, the other recorded testimony of this, Jesus is drawing near to Jerusalem before he goes to the cross. And he sees the city and he wept over it, saying, if you had only known, even you, especially in your day, the things that make for your peace. Whew. The things that make for your peace. The Son of Man here to comfort you, to remove you from your brokenness, to restore you. The things that make for your peace. If you had only seen and recognized me, but now they are hidden from your eyes. And he weeps. Hidden from the wise and the prudent was our passage earlier. Revealed to babes. You need more examples? How often do we see Christ meeting with those who are deemed the scum of the earth? The unclean and the forgotten. The friend of sinners he was accused of. Mark 2. Now it happened, verse 15, as he was dining in Levi's house, that many tax collectors and sinners also sat together with Jesus and his disciples. For they were many, and they followed him. And when the scribes and the Pharisees, read the wise and the prudent, saw him eating with the tax collectors and sinners, they said to his disciples, How is it that he eats and drinks with tax collectors and sinners, or little children, or babes? And when Jesus heard it, he said to them, Those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. I did not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. How is it, they asked, that he would meet with sinners and tax collectors and prostitutes and advocate for those caught in adultery? And Jesus says, Here's how my heart is gentle and it is lowly. I came to call sinners, sick people like, like me, those who know they need help and they're desperate for love. Calling them to repentance, to surrender, so that they may have rest. Come to me, he says. I spoke with John this morning. As we were talking through some of this, he, he expressed that as he was reading through the Gospels and and, and seeing these stories of, of the disciples that Jesus called and, and Matthew the tax collector, he goes, they were, they were just like me. They were broken individuals that didn't have their act together. And Jesus came and made himself available to them because he is gentle and lowly. They were just like me. I want to end this morning reading from John. This is Jesus speaking to his disciples after the resurrection, John 16. He says this, I still have many things to say to you, but you cannot bear them now. However, when he, the spirit of truth, has come, he will guide you into all truth. 
For he will not speak on his own authority, but whatever he hears, he will speak. And he will tell you things to come. He will glorify me, for he will take of what is mine and declare it to you. All things that the Father has are mine. Therefore, I said that he will take of mine and declare it to you. So we have just seen and we have heard and we have read the God is love sign. The 7,000 volts. These endless stories of Jesus engaging with the broken. But what about you? What about your experience of Christ's love? That you may know the unknowable. Jesus tells us right here that the miraculous way in which we experience the love of God, the love of the Father in our union with Him, is through the Holy Spirit, that third person of the Trinity, declaring to you the hidden things of the Father. I believe literally enabling you to feel the gentle and lowly heart of your Savior. Again, the humanity of Christ. You understand that Jesus is fully God, fully man. Not was. Is. Jesus is fully God and fully man, still. And he's sitting at the right hand of the Father, advocating for you and for me. Because he is our high priest, Hebrews says. Our great, high, and perfect high priest. Because of his humanness, he is able to identify with us. Rather, we can identify with him. He was tempted in every way. He was challenged in every way. He walked through suffering and, and, and challenges in every way, testing of his faith. Yet he was without sin. And so now because of that, we can approach the throne of grace in our time of need and find mercy and grace because he is advocating for us. So that's where Jesus is. But he says he's going to send his spirit, which he did. Dan mentioned that this morning already. And now it is through the spirit that we begin to know these things, that, the, that God himself, God the Father, through the Son, by, by power of the Spirit, reveals himself, the Trinity, to us. And we begin to know and experience the love of God for ourselves. I gave you that picture last week of, of a child. I can, I can tell Sophie that I love her from across the room. And she can know it and she can believe it. But it is, all to, it is altogether a different way of knowing, a different level when I wrap her up and she can feel my heartbeat and the warmth of my body and the protection of my arms. Those are two different ways that we can know the love of Christ. We can read of it. We can know it. We can believe it. And through the Spirit, you can feel it. This is not the only work of the Spirit, but surely He is the way that we experience our unity with Christ. I hope you desire that. Some of you know exactly what I'm talking about. You know the love of God in a very real way. Over the next month, we are going to listen and learn about the Holy Spirit. We are going to beg and petition the Spirit to move among us in powerful ways. Surely He does. I need you to know this. Surely He does this as he chooses. The Spirit moves in powerful ways as he chooses. But Jesus also promises that those who surrender themselves as little children, as babes, meaning they know that they're inefficient, 
that they need rescued every day, not in salvation, that is sure and secure, but in our need for him every day, that those who surrender themselves to him, come to him, walk in obedience to him, it is those who the love of the Father, through Jesus the Son, by the power of the Spirit, will be revealed to them in a very real way. Normal people like you and I, who know our need for a Savior, in our obedience as we walk out our faith, He will meet us there. I'm going to invite the team to come and help us as we close our service today. Some of you, some of you are in a place where you are desperate for soul rest. You are weary and you are burdened. You need to know that Jesus wants rest for your soul even more than you want rest for your soul. Because that is his heart for you. He is gentle and he is lowly. Some of you feel like you just can't cut it that you are insufficient, that you fall short at and in everything. You need to know that Jesus has your sufficiency covered. It is done. It is finished. You don't owe any more debt. It has been paid in full and all sufficient merit is now yours to hold. Some of you feel like that sin that you can't shake has removed you from the love of God. You need to know that God is not running the other direction. Rather, he is at your door right now providing new mercies today through grace in Jesus Christ. That is what he is. It is who he is. That what, that's what he desires to do, for he is gentle and lowly in heart. Some of you are wise and prudent. And you have put the things of the world in a place of priority over the things of God and God himself. And the things of God and God himself have been hidden from you and you have been on the outside because you are wise and you are prudent. Whether it's through personal success or career, money, schedule, sports, personal comfort, The things of the Lord have been hidden from you because you are prioritizing those things over prioritizing the Lord. Here's the good news, though. You can become a little, little child. You can become a babe because your prerequisite for experiencing the embrace of Jesus is simply to open yourself up to him. That's it. You don't have to have your acts together. Do you get it yet? That's why he came, to put an end to that nonsense. You've heard me preach enough that you know that we don't abuse grace by continuing in sin. But we also need to hear that we cannot outpace his grace. 
It isn't possible. If it was, then the cross meant nothing. Where sin increased, grace abounds all the more. So I don't know exactly where you are today, but I do know that Jesus in his compassion is eagerly desiring to remind you of his love this morning. I was really excited to preach this to you this week. I'm not trying to manufacture anything. I'm not. I've just been personally overwhelmed by the love of God. And many of you are being overwhelmed by the love of God. Many of you just need to know that God loves you. That's why I said it 48,000 times last week. God loves you. And he wants to reveal himself to you. He wants you to know him through Jesus Christ. And don't forget that who he wills to reveal himself to are to those who, who he says, come to me, those who come to him, who turn and surrender of themselves and say, I need you. I need you. I'm weary. I'm burdened. I can't shake sin. I can't figure it out. Jesus says, Come to me. Come to me. Feel my embrace. We are after that embrace this year, church. We are after that embrace. If nothing else this morning, know that in Christ's perfect humanity and perfect divinity, he loves you and he meets with you and he has himself for you. And he has himself for you. So as we close our service in worship, what other response could we end with? I want you to come to him. Wherever you are, in whatever of those scenarios I painted, maybe you're in a different scenario altogether. I don't know. But do you need to come to Jesus this morning? We're going to sing the song, Only a Holy God. Only a holy God would invite you to call him Father. So whatever response you need to have this morning, may it be that you come to him. In your seat, at the platform, in the parking lot, wherever you are, come to him this morning. Jesus, we want to know your heart. God, we desire more of you and less of us. Increase our surrender today. We want to know you. God, you made us to experience feelings. God, often our feelings can be deceitful. We can't trust our feelings, but we can trust you. But God, we ask this morning that in our humanness, you would help us to know and to feel. God, help us to feel your love. God, for those in these seats this morning who need to know 
that there is a father who is perfect and isn't abusive and doesn't forsake us and doesn't forget about us and doesn't mistreat us but one who is perfect and always protects, always loves. That's that's who we need to know loves us this morning. God, you are holy. You are so far set apart from us, yet you reveal yourself to us. You make yourself accessible. You connect with us in a real way. So God, may we know your gentle and lowly heart through Christ this morning. In Jesus' name. Thank you for joining us for this message from the Summit Church Podcast. Again, if you have questions, visit us at summitniles.com. Now go and be the church in the world.